It's going well, really well. Let's start this again. Holiday season. Let's start this again. Let's start this again. Let's start this again. I don't want to start it again. I'm I'm going to start it again. Okay. Hello, John Schuler. <laughs> See, this is why I laughed that everybody already knows that you started it again because we did something wrong. Hello, Brandon Gore. Yeah, we don't want to hear about the holiday season, so we're starting again. Really? Yeah. I love we it. We all know it's a holiday season. We don't need to talk about it. But I love it. It makes me happy. I like to talk about when I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come on, man. I'm not happy. Can you hear these Ooh. dogs in the background right now? I can't. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> uh, so anybody listening, the last 11, 12 days of my life has been uh, chaos. The short story is I have half my building up for lease. I bought this building and we renovated it and we're, le- we're going to lease one side of it. The uh, the listing agent called me a while back and said, hey, are you cool with a doggy daycare? And I'm like, dude, I love dogs. Yes, I'm totally cool with that. Right. Turned out it didn't work for the doggy daycare, but he knows I like dogs. So a local rescue in Wichita, who's like a really big rescue, they're they're kind of like the most well-known dog rescue, is renovating their building. They're, the state came in and said, hey, you have to make these changes, whatever updates, and they had no place to go. And nobody's going to lease to them for, they need a, a place for like a couple weeks, right? Nobody's going to lease to them. And so anyways, my realtor hit me up. It's like, dude, you don't have to say yes, but they have no place to go and they're in a really tight spot. And, uh, they only need it for seven to 10 days. I said, dude, yeah, seven to 10 days. I'm totally cool with that. And so this was now 12 days ago, 13 days ago. I don't know when they moved in, something like that. Yeah. And, How's that um, going, man? Dude, you ever seen the movie A Christmas Story? You ever see that movie? <laughs> yeah. The Bumpus Hounds yeah, yeah. come like, tr- like galloping through the house. Yeah, yeah. Just chaos. That is th- what I've learned is I have to soundproof this division wall between the two suites because there's 50 dogs over there right now that are losing their minds all day, 24 hours a day, just going absolutely crazy. Um, and it smells like a hamster cage in my shop now. Like, I walk in, I'm like, dude, it smells like a f-ing hamster cage in my shop. Um, so, and, and, because it's all volunteers, they clogged the, the, not just clogged the toilet, they clogged the sewer line so bad I had to get a, Sewer company had come out and like snake the whole sewer line on their side. So, anyways, no good deed goes unpunished. My wife told me when I called her up, I'm like, hey, what do you think? Should I do it? She's like, no. You get the class coming up. Like, you know, you got enough going on. No good deed goes unpunished. I'm like, ah, my heart won't let me say no. I got to say yes. These dogs need me. And like Sarah McLaughlin's yeah. playing in the background. The eyes <laughs> of the angel. And I'm like, yes, yes. I'm going to save these dogs. <laughs> but anyways, where I'm going with this, John, is uh, seven to ten days came and went, and and I hit him up. I'm like, hey, when are you guys planning to move out? Oh, yeah, well, we had snow here Friday. The weather is slowing down the contractor. Oh, really? Really? Uh, it just snowed, so I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I'm just, you know, guys, seven to ten days, we've it's come and gone. Um, you know, you got to you gotta pick it up. You got to speed up. Because this is what happened. Contractors are like, oh, they get, the dogs have a place to go? Yeah. Let's slow the pace. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's the holidays. It's Thanksgiving. Eh, Let's just, just, you know, let's take a five-day weekend. Then they find that Brandon Gore. He had like a cape on or something, a cape, and he was going to save, save the dogs. Yeah, we'll just slow down. First time and last time, dude. Next time, (laughs) Sarah McLaughlin, I'm just going to turn that record off. (laughs) Nope, nope. 
Nope. <laughs> Scrooge, Sorry, Scrooge over here now, man. Bah humbug, you know? So anyways, that's, that's, uh, so anybody listening, you're going to hear dogs constantly. If, if like somebody walks in over there, it is just crazy. I'll post a video maybe of just like how crazy this is right now. <laughs> it is crazy. It Dude, is crazy. I know. I told you I take my cat to, to groomers and it's the same thing. It's behind it. It's a, I don't think it's a rescue. It's just a kennel kind of thing. But when you walk in there, oh yeah, the, the smell hits you. There's no question about it. And it is nonstop. Yeah. I don't know how many dogs are in there, but it's constant barking yeah. all day long. Yeah. Good thing. Good thing I wear my AirPods constantly because your ear pods dude now you got me saying it I, I i sound like a total bumpkin when i talk to people well i can put my ear pods i mean air pods <laughs> they are ear pods they go in your ears good thing good thing that's like my usual day because i can drone it out for the most part um but i've had people you know i had uh electricians here last week i'm putting in by the way Again, dude, my third mini split I've installed in this building, and this is the biggest one yet. This is a three-ton mini split, and I'm heating oh. and cool the back of my shop now, which is the first time ever in my life. I've never had heated and cooled shop space. In Eureka Springs, I had the Radiant. 2023, baby. Dude, moving, moving on, on up. up. Yeah, buddy. Uh, I had the Radiant heater in Eureka Springs, which is great in the wintertime. Radiant heat's awesome in the wintertime. But come summertime, you're just sweltering in there. I mean, you remember, you used to come do classes in the middle of summer. It is hot. I didn't think it was. I never thought oh, it was bad. Dude, though. I, psh, it was hot. It was hot. And um, so anyways, I put in a three-ton back here and kicked it on yesterday. Anybody who, who has never used a mini split, I'm telling you right now, they are the best thing I just, I can't get over like how amazing they work, how efficient they are, how quiet they are. And you can install it yourself. It's something you can do yourself. You know, I, I put in this, this two, or I'm sorry, this three ton for 2000 bucks by myself. And, uh, my shop is heated and cool now. So it's amazing. It's amazing. So anybody out there listening, I wish I'd have known that. Like I didn't know that. I wish I'd have known that five years ago, you know, Eureka Springs, I would have, yeah. I would have put two or three, two or three of those on the side of my building and uh he didn't cool my whole space but i didn't know right on man yeah well like many things you don't know what you don't know you don't know what you don't know i was uh sitting in a drive-thru a little while ago waiting on a drink and brian manzanares sent me a text mm -hmm. and it was a good text it, was, it had some good questions and so one of the questions was he was trying to figure out how much how much surface area, how much square footage does a bag of Maker Mix make, right? Say that five times fast. So, you know, on the back of the bag, it has cubic foot uh, measurement, 0 0.37. A lot of people, mm -hmm. if, they don't, if they're not used to using volume, they may not um, know the process of figuring out the square footage. And so I'll just run that down really, really quick. So a cubic foot... If you multiply 12 times 12, which is a square foot, that's 2D, 12 by 12, times 12, now it's a cube, that equals 1,728, 1728. That's how many cubic inches are in a cubic foot, okay? Mm -hmm. So 0.37 cubic feet, if you multiply 0.37 times 1728, uh, that's going to be 639 cubic inches that one bag makes. So that's the cubic inches, 639. 
So Brian was asking, well, how do I, how do I know how many square feet that is? And I was like, well, at one inch thick, which, you know, I do a lot of things at one inch thick. Let's do 12 by 12 times one, which is 144. And we'll divide 639 by 144. And that is 4.44 square feet. 4.44. But so by knowing the, the volume, you can calculate if I'm doing a half inch, if I'm doing a quarter inch, if I'm doing an inch and a half, you can, you know, 12 by 12 by 0.25. That'd be quarter inch. 12 by 12 by 0.5. That'd be half inch. And that'll give you your your um, volume. And then you can divide that by the um, by uh, 639. And that will tell you how many square feet per bag it makes. So anyways, that, that was one question you had. And that was a good question. At, we a, haven't, at an inch. At an, well, yeah, yeah. Or the, a simpler method would be, which you're absolutely right to run the cubic feet is, but just 0.37 times 12, 12 inches tall, you know, so 0.37 uh, cubic foot's already taken into consideration the 12 by 12 by one inch. So you just do 12 times 0.37 gives you the same, about 4.5 yeah. square feet. But that's at one inch. I'm saying if you know the process and you know you're like I'm making tile right now, quarter inch thick tile. Well then I can figure yeah, I fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can figure my volume. So anyways, that, that was a good question. And again, it's something that we have discussed it, but it's probably been, you know, a year since last time we talked about how to calculate square footage. It's a good question. Second yeah. question he had, which I thought again was a great question, was what is the all in price of maker mix TBP and uh, ICT per square foot. What is the all-in price? And, you know, so let's just figure it one inch thick. And then you can extrapolate that if, you know, however you want, if, you, if you're doing quarter inch and multiply by four. But did you, did you have time to run those numbers? Because I sent you a text and yeah, asked I you did, to run it real quick. All right, yeah. so what, what does that come to? Uh, well, let's, I'll walk through one each individually and then the total. Well, okay. I'll throw the total out for us. All right. Total comes out at $12.50. Not including fiber because obviously that's a, it's not a huge change, but you're going to either, if you're using glass fiber, again, $3 a pound or PVA fiber, $9 a pound, you know, the different loading rates. But just for the three items at retail, you're about $9 a square foot, again, based on the retail bag of Maker Mix. TBP, I calculated, I kind of took the mid range of 50 grams per bag because I, again, again, how much you use a TBP, whether it's a clay mix or self-consolidating. So I kind of just grabbed 50, which is pretty flowable. Like Dusty's using 50 grams. So I use that. And that came about $2. Sealer's about a buck fifty a square foot. So your total all-in price, again, without LTL or anything, is $12.50. And is that is that retail or is that pro? That's based on retail. All right, so twelve fifty, and then pro pricing, twelve fifty. Yeah, take a yeah, take eleven percent. So eleven, about eleven bucks. Eleven fifty, yeah, eleven bucks, yeah. Yeah, so that is per square foot, and then like you said, you have freight, and that's going to be mm-hmm. highly dependent on how much you order and where you're shipping it to. So right. that's kind of a wild card. I mean, we have customers that the freight's a couple hundred bucks. We have customers that freight's two thousand bucks because they're in. Alaska or wherever, you know, so, um, so something that's that's individual, but, um, and then glass fiber, you you know, I'd say what with shipping, you're probably about a dollar a square foot on average. No, actually based on, I did two per two and a half percent loading and all your fiber, it's about three bucks a pound. Yeah. So at two and a half percent loadings, you're 
four four and a quarter, four dollars and twenty five cents per square foot. A square foot. Wait, wait yeah. no, 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 no. If it's three dollars a pound, and I'm putting a pound into a bag of Maker Mix, and that bag of Maker Mix will do four point four square feet, then I'd be oh, you're right. with shipping about a dollar a pound. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. So I, that times point three seven. Yeah. So you're right. A little over a buck a pound. Okay. So or a buck square foot. So then your PVA would be about two dollars a pound. Okay. Two fifty. So let's say twelve fifty plus a buck thirteen fifty a square foot plus shipping. Let's just say all this shipped together was um, eight hundred bucks. What does a pallet do? Like how many square feet does a pallet make at one inch thick, John? Um. Okay. Give me a second. I can figure that out. I can figure it out. I'm faster than you. 228 square feet, 229. Yep. So you're looking at about 349, 350 a square foot in freight mm-hmm. charges. So you said 1250 plus 350 is $16 a square plus foot. Plus a Yeah. Plus the fiber, so seventeen. That's sixteen bucks. Yeah, 16. yeah, seventeen dollars okay. somewhere in that zone. So let's say seventeen all in. That's freight, that's mix, that's fiber, TVP, seventeen a square foot. And so I mean that's a good conversation because again we haven't talked about this in a long time. I've never actually run those numbers honestly. So seventeen, and you know I'm not telling people what to charge. Everybody should do their own calculation on what their square footage price is if they're doing countertops. But I would tell you, I'm going to be 135 minimum, probably closer to 150 on 99% of my projects. So at 150, that's 17 bucks a square foot is really a non-issue. Well, based on that, what you just said, you were looking at a $6,800 job and your materials came out just over 800 bucks. So, I mean, that's not even what, 12% of the job? Yeah. And it's something that, again, we've, we've said before, but I think it's worth saying again, the cheapest products you'll ever use are the ones you only have to use once. That's the cheapest. I've learned this lesson again and again and again. When I cheap out on anything, when I'm doing a woodworking project and I just choose to go to Lowe's and get some cheap sealer versus buying you know, the ones that my woodworking buddies all use that are really good, I pay the price. I pay the price. Yeah. I pay the price in aesthetics or I pay the price in yellowing or I pay the price in performance. Anytime I've ever cut corners to save a buck, it costs me more than had I just done it right the first time. So the lesson is, you know, you could go down and you could buy Quick Creep Portland and we should do those calculations. You know, Quick Creep Portland, number 30 silica sand. You could buy some Poslins and have those shipped to you. Um, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it'd probably be 12 to 13 a square foot all in when it's all said and done mm-hmm. by the time you get those materials. So, you know, you might be saving $4 a square foot and a couple uh, hundred bucks. Yeah. A couple yeah. hundred bucks on a project. But if you do it twice, which chances are you're going to, you have a much highly, uh, much more highly likelihood that that is a, a possibility. If you have to do it twice, then you're upside down dramatically. And if you account for your time, which is your biggest cost by far, Yep. your time, you're really upside down in that project. Now you've, you, you could have just stayed home and watched Maury and found out who the dad is. You could have done that and you would have made more money than had you done it twice. Because now you're right. doing a project plus you're taking money out of your pocket essentially and giving it to the client. They're not aware of that, but that's what you're doing because you're doing it twice. So good question. No, I mean, that didn't have said. I mean, yeah, we, we keep circling the wagons on this whole thing, but 
I posted again the the write up from the individual that was making those bedside tables, and one of the bedside tables had a lot of voids and stuff, and one did not. And all again, the idea of that isn't that ooh one had voids, one does not. No, it's the idea that at the end of the day, both of those would probably hold a lamp up, but if your aesthetics was to now spend the labor time to fill those voids and sand them out and, you know, et cetera, Which isn't et a one-time process. That's three or four layers. Yeah, you have to it's do not that. a one-time. So you just added, you know, that, I shouldn't say you added. I just say at the end of the day, one project based on what it is, is going to gobble up a minimum of hours worth of labor and one is not. Both accomplish the same thing, holding the lamp up next to your bed but one took you another, you know, three, four, six hours, whatever it took to get to where you want. And the other one, you spent the same four to six hours decorating your room. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, I mean yeah. it's, that's the difference. And if it's a business, then yes, that four to six hours, A, in business could be done many other things that afford your business or family. Yeah. And, th- and that's really the angle we've been taking the whole time. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today. On today's podcast, the Concrete Podcast. Are you ready? I am ready. Good. How to seal concrete, John? How to seal concrete? This so is how to seal. Well, I thought we were going to talk about the processing. That's part of this conversation. I think the oh, okay. the bigger conversation is how to seal concrete. Processing yeah. is determined by which sealer route you choose. So we can't talk about one without talking about the bigger picture. Yeah, in my true. opinion, yeah, yeah. So sealer, I mean, it really comes down to two options, in my opinion. It's going to be either a topical sealer or it's going to be a reactive sealer. Those are the two big options yeah, in, our, choices. in our industry. And really, when it comes to a reactive sealer, ICT is the only one on the market. And then when it comes to topicals, there's a ton of options. Some of them are made by actual companies, and a lot of them are repackaged by middlemen that are taking off-the-shelf topicals, urethanes, acrylics, epoxies, and slapping a label yeah, on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, down pack it, slap a label on it. And, uh, and so, you know, then you're just buying through somebody in the middle. Both of them have pros and cons, and both of them require um, different processing. You want to talk about topicals first? As in, oh, what they need for well, processing? I would say, well, what they need for processing, but topicals. I mean, and here's when would be a good situation when would somebody want to choose a topical over reactive when what situation would that be well i can really only think of one and that would be if you need something that that requires a color enhancement i mean really that's anything beyond that i don't i don't see the the true benefit i mean if you if you walk through them but Reactive technologies are, are not going to have the same quote unquote wet look final product as some topical technologies. So that's the only one I can think of. Color enhancement. What okay. What about, I mean, I think color enhancement is good. What about continuous water exposure? Like what if you're doing a water feature and there's going to be, you know, 12 inches of water in this, in this fountain in a place and you, you want it to essentially just be like a plastic tub in there. You don't want any moisture infiltration you just want to create a plastic barrier would that be another instance where you choose a topical 
Well, I, it's still going to have a, a limited time span because at the end of the day, topical or otherwise, unless and like you were saying, unless it was a full-fledged plastic liner, uh, I'm going to say no because we're still dealing with concrete. And that sealer at some point, it, all it's going to take is a pinhole or some kind of crack in the film, and it's going to be a, a far more catastrophic. So in that situation, I would probably – Again, I would embrace the darkening of the concrete because, yeah, your your topical is not going to last. Yeah, I don't know unless it's a full unless you put a full liner in. Yeah, I just think there's. I used to use topicals. I started with topicals, and there's some topicals out there that I think are if you're going to go that route are probably, in my opinion, are probably the best. For a topical, and one of them, I, I, the one I mean, that I E three two K is the only one I could think of. Yeah, I was gonna say E three two K from Richard James Specialty Chemicals. Yeah, our E three two K I used to use from them. It was, I wouldn't say easy to apply because there's a mixing time, induction time, then you have a certain amount of time to apply it. Um, you have to be very meticulous about dust and. Um, you know, anything like that, because it is a film. And if anything lands in that film, you're screwed. But that being said, I did a lot of restaurants and I did a lot of university projects with E32K from Richard James Specialty Chemicals. And they held up great. They held up great. But they were plastic. I had yeah. taken this material, concrete, which was amazing, and then I coated it in plastic. And that's what I always hated about it. There's this restaurant I used to... I used to always go to where I made this communal table. It's called Green in Tempe, Arizona. And that table, another thing about it too is the concrete never ages. It, you, you know, you encapsulate it and it stays the same. And I made this communal table. It may scratch and wear, but yeah, it, it isn't going to change. I mean, it didn't really scratch or wear. That's the other thing is about the, the Richard James Specialty Kimball's E32K. It was a, a really durable topical. So I, I coated it and we installed it. And for years and years and years, you know, I'd go to that restaurant and eat and it never aged. It never changed. It never aged. And when you sat at that table and you put your hand on it, you might as well have been sitting at a Corian slab because it was, that's what you're interfacing with. That's what you're, that, that was your reality is when you touch it, you're touching plastic. And you knew your, your body knows your tactile, you know, your fingertips, all those little nerves, yeah. when they touch it, they can tell this isn't concrete. I'm touching plastic. And so it lost the beauty of the material, lost the soul of the material. Another part of the soul material is letting it organically, gracefully age in time. So, you know, that's the thing I love about um, reactive sealers is they protect the, the surface from staining, but they don't protect it from... Is that on your side or my side? Yeah, it must be on your side. I don't got nothing, oh. nothing going on over here. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a bunch of people walking around outside. I guess they're walking dogs. Anyways, so the thing about ICT, about a reactive sealer, is it for me, it seals the surface, but it allows it to age gracefully. It doesn't stain, but it does slowly darken in areas that get a lot of wear, and it just allows it to be the real material. When you touch it, you're touching the concrete. And so like at my house, for instance, we sealed the countertops. Countertops are beautiful. There's not a single stain anywhere on a countertop. But around the stove where, you know, every day we're cooking bacon, we're 
you know, searing steaks and cast iron. Um, it's darkened a little bit because all the grease splattering coming off constantly, you know, and we wipe it up, but it's just one of those things. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. It's not stained. There's no stains anywhere, but it just shows this is a real material. This isn't Corian. Yeah. This isn't uh, epoxy coated granite. You know, this is a real thing. And for me, that is the beauty in the material. Our coffee table, which my girls still continuously torture test every day to the max, whatever they can do. I mean, <laughs> they plot like, what can we put on this table today? Let's try paint markers. Let's try nail polish remover. Let's, let's do everything, you know, Sharpies, anything we can find to mess up this table. Let's try it. They've tried it all. The table still looks amazing. Still looks amazing. I, I sealed that table. Oh man. I mean, that was seven, eight, nine years ago. So it was when we first moved to Arkansas, like seven years ago, eight years ago. And I've never resealed it. And it has been abused like nothing else. And, uh, but it's aged, it's aged gracefully. There's not a stain on it, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look like brand new concrete. It just looks like, like leather that you've sat in over, you know, all these years. And it just gets that nice patina to it. That's the beauty. In, me, in my opinion, that's the beauty of concrete. If you can let the concrete be real, real things, real things don't stay the same. Humans don't stay the same. You know, we're all slowly aging. And uh, copper doesn't stay the same. And cedar doesn't stay the same. And, uh, you know, concrete, I think, is the beauty and the surrealness. So let it be real. But anyways, that's my opinion on, on topicals. What's your opinion yeah, on topicals? Again, we, we've gone through this so many times. And the, the other thing I'm going to just add to that is when an artisan, because, I mean, I, it's, it's like life is a circle, right? I mean, that's what I say. And when an artisan learns to embrace the material for what it is, What's wild about that is, number one, again, their conf your confidence goes up, your passion goes up, your business continues to flourish, you know, all, but, you know, we've all fought it, man, for years. We all fought whatever it was, this expectation weird. And then once you embrace what it is, and now in this case, we're talking about concrete, but it could be leather. I mean, whatever we're talking about, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I am so much happier when I, I wouldn't say changed my expectation, but I think it's, it's more about growing up in yourself and realizing the real beauty of what things can be. You know, the tree wasn't gorgeous when it was a sapling. It was a gorgeous now that it's, you know, leaves falling and bark. And I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. So anyway. Yeah. Well, back to topicals where this started is for a topical, if we're talking about E32K, we're talking about any of the other topicals, the way you're going to process the concrete is you need to leave a tooth to the concrete so that yeah. topical coating can mechanically bond to the surface. It needs to be able to mechanically bond. You don't want to take it to a high polish and then apply a topical coating because that topical coating will inherently want to peel off, you know, in short order. So you're either going to do that with an acid wash or you're going to do it with uh, uh, water polishing or even sanding. And if you water polish your sand, you want to stop at no more than about 200 grit is, you know, kind of the highest grit you want to go to because anything beyond that, you're going to start to lose that mechanical bond that that sealer needs. Well, yeah. And let me just emphasize that mechanical bond is necessary even with 
further applications, meaning it's not just that first coat of the concrete, it's everything thereafter. And that's the trouble that some people are even getting, regardless of solvent-based, you know, water-based, whatever the case may be, is one of the biggest issues with delamination isn't because, ooh, such and such product is garbage. It usually is because in between applications too, there wasn't sand. In other words, there wasn't tooth. There wasn't enough tooth to grab. And next thing you know, you're showing up, you know, dig, cutting a faucet hole or putting a piece of tape down, and then you're pulling your application, sealer application, right off and it's peeling. Uh -huh. And and that's, so I, I just want to emphasize the whole tooth idea goes much further than just the first application to the concrete. It's through through the applications as well. Yeah, especially if you're letting each application, quote unquote, cure. Yeah. You know, if you're doing wet on wet or like tacky on tacky, essentially, where, you know, with E32K, you'd put on, um, you know, one, one, the waterborne urethane or waterborne epoxy. I think it's epoxy first and urethane second, correct? Correct. Yeah. We put on the epoxy and while it's still tacky, you apply the urethane. So there's more of a chemical bond between those two. But yeah, if you're going to let it cure up, you definitely need to, again, profile it to put a tooth to it so yep. the next layer wants to bond to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's topicals. On reactives, you can take it to whatever polish you want if you're so inclined. And I have done that in the past. I have had customers that want an extremely high polish on the piece. And so in those cases, I'll take it up to, you know, 1,000, 2,000 grit polish and the concrete itself is just, just, you know, super reflective and seal it. And you're not worried about the lamination because it's not a topical, it's chemically reacting with the concrete. Yeah. And, and then I'll hit it with a hog's hair pad to buff it to just, again, you yeah, know, make it, pop, oh yeah. my God. And it's like a mirror and there's, I have some photos on my website of, um, my old conference table is that way. The square one has the fabric form element in the middle. And my old desk was that way. We took it to super high shine. But the downside of that is a super high shine isn't very life friendly. It's a surface that if somebody drags their MacBook across the surface or anything like that, it's going to leave scuff marks on the surface yeah. that, are, that are very visible. Where had we taken it, what I prefer to do is an acid edge. Had we acid etched the surface, put a profile to it, then sealed it, when people drag some across that, the surface is already matted out and it doesn't show, visually show those, you know, they're not, they're not um, failures or, or anything like that, but it's just, it doesn't show the scuffs and everything that you would see on a super high sheen surface. And so those are more life friendly. Well, and the wear, you know, you get much better wear over the long haul because the intermittent highs and lows, and this is what we've all learned, the intermittent highs and lows in that even the mildest acid wash creates these, you know, let's call them microscopic peaks and valleys. So when things are slid across the surface, cast iron pan, whatever we're talking about, it rolls across the peaks. And yeah, the longevity of that surface goes tenfold. Yeah. That's something we've all learned, regardless of sealer too. I mean, I'm just saying that that's something we've all learned. And I bring that up because I got a question recently about that. I think I was telling you about when someone really liked the out of the mold, like, John, what can I do? And I'm like, well, you got two choices. Embrace it for what it is, you know, like, like wax it or just leave it for what it is. 
but no, I don't, I don't like that because it's not going to be very durable, meaning stain resistance and so forth. And I don't care what you, you need to re remove that, as I call it, the cast scum with an acid wash dilution of something to really get a durable surface. That's, that's the only choice. We've all embraced it. It is what it is. Absolutely. And on the last podcast, How to Make a Concrete Countertop, we went through sealing, but at a very, very basic level. A mm -hmm. very DIY, it's the first time you've ever touched concrete. We don't want to scare you with the more advanced methods. And we talked about the, you know, here's the most bare bones way to apply a reactive sealer. I sealed, uh, I made conference tabletops um, last week. I came in Saturday and sealed them. And I sealed them using the, the most current protocol for ICT. And I, I went over it with you because... You know, things are always updating, and that's a good thing. As people continue to use this product and they find better ways of using the product, you know, it's good to, yeah, to update advancing things. advancing the techniques, advancing yeah. their techniques, yeah. Yeah, so we hear from Joe Bates, things he's tried. We hear from Dusty Baker, things he's tried. We hear from all the users. Hey, I tried this, man, it worked great. And then you try it, and you're like, man, it does work good. Yeah, you that's know? awesome. And yeah. then you update, hey, here's... Here's a new protocol. This is, you know, this is what I'm doing now. And I think it works great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, moving the ball forward at all times, in my opinion, is a good thing. You should always be trying to move the ball forward, not just saying, you know, we, we did this in 1987 and it works. So we're going to do it in 2007. We're going to do it in 2027. We're going to do it in 2047. We're not going to change anything. That's stupid. You should always be advancing. So that being said, I called you up and said, John, what is the most current protocol? on yeah. applying ICT because I'm going to seal this table and I want to do the most current way. I don't want to do it the way I've been doing it for the last few years, which is fine, but I want to do what people are doing now, you know, what you recommend. And I wrote those things down. Do you want to, you, you want to go through the steps? You want me to go through them? You want me to go to, because I mean, yeah, I know verbatim because <laughs> I do it. Well, the funny thing is I called you up and said, John, I'm going to seal these. I want to do the most current method. You're like, yeah, just, just, yeah. just do it the way we do it. I'm like, no, 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 no. The way I do it and the way you do it are probably different now. Because you're always yeah. advancing the process. I want to do the most current method to date. And so I wrote it down and I typed up a little, um, a little note here on my phone. But this is going to be using a torch. And if you use a torch, we use... Undeniably. Yeah, yeah we use a roofing torch. It's a company called yep. Red Dragon. Is that what it's... Red Dragon, right? Uh, flame. Well, the company... Yeah, the torches, I think they call Red Dragon. But it's flameengineering.com. Mm, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying I just bought my Red Dragon on Amazon, I think. And when I bought it, I sent it to you and I'm like, is this it? And you said, yeah, that's the right one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can get it. But I, I just go to the website, flameengineering.com. Uh, that's that's the main company that makes them. And then at that point, no, you go check them out. And I'm sure you probably find one of their products on Amazon to pick up. Sure. Yeah. And you want to get a good, you know, I made the mistake initially I just went down to Lowe's Room Depot and I bought a weed torch or a roofing torch yeah. and you came to a class and you're like, dude, no, get a good one, man. Get a good one. They, they make a big difference. Yeah. And so I did. Really I, do. I bought, uh, really I bought the right, cause you said get a red dragon. So I got an Amazon, I got the red dragon and it was, I don't know, a few hundred bucks, 200 bucks or something. And I got it and no regrets. That thing is great, but you need to get a, a roofing torch or a weed torch. Um, and, 
the big one. They make a small one, a detail torch, which is like a little, little one, um, which is good if you're doing like sinks and stuff. You can, you know, be a little bit more precise with yeah, the heat. Yeah, that's the one I use the most of as the small detail. Right? Really? I use the yeah. big one, but, I, uh, you know. Um, well, let me take a caveat to that because I think I mentioned this in a podcast and how this is – this is where I'm a firm believer in we all learn. We all learn. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. So I was down in San Luis one time working with a guy down there, and we pulled out his torches. And that so and this is what I'm going to say. With those torches, what I really like is, and this is why I choose them, the little adjustment, I don't know what, the adjustment valve on the handle. Mm-hmm. Because one of the fears, in fact, I was just talking to somebody yesterday from Florida who was like, oh, man, I just can't use, you know, oh, no, no, not the torch. But he's picturing in his mind that big, you know, full flame, turbocharged weed torch, you know. And no. So you adjust that. You put it to a nice, comfortable flame that's so easy to use. And these have those. So I was just, look for the torches that have that adjustment so you don't end up with a, you know, a jet engine coming off your torch because that can be very intimidating where these you can adjust it back to this very nice, you know, easy, manageable flame that works fantastic. And you walk right through the process. It's not intimidating. You know, you're not. And, and people know this. I take these into people's homes. I literally just did a restaurant vanity the other day. You know, the faucets were all installed in the whole nine yards, and I'm pulling my little detail torch out and zippity doo dah. And yeah, man, they're they're just not intimidating at all once you get used to them and know how to adjust them. Very yeah. simple, very simple. Well, so I you, use the big one. I have the detail ones. I've I don't think I've ever used the detail ones. I think you're the only person. I have two of them. And you know, anytime yeah. you've come and done a class, you hook those up and you use them when you're doing sinks and stuff. But for me, for slabs. The big one, it's just quick, yeah. you know, you just hit it real quick. Super quick. The thing about a torch that everybody needs to understand is you're not, try, you're not trying to use the torch to heat the concrete. That is not mm. the purpose. You're using it, we call it chase the vapor. You'll see yep. it. As soon as you hit that surface, you'll just see the vapor dissipate off, off the surface of the concrete that's in the surface. You'll see it dissipate mm -hmm. immediately. And that's all you're doing. I saw a video recently of a guy on Instagram sealing with ICT, and I... I so you message, hey, you might want to reach out to him because he could see the ICT steaming off the surface. Oh, blowing off, yeah. And that's something that we used to deal with back in the day because we were heating the concrete up way too hot with the torches. I mean, I think that's something everybody does because in your mind, you're using a torch to heat the concrete. You think that's what I'm doing. And so you're intentionally trying to heat it up. That's not what we're trying to do. And so, you know, I'll go through all the ceiling steps of the torch and I might torch that surface five, six times. And if I touch it with my hand, it's just barely warm. You know, it's not cooking. I'm not getting that thing up to 115, 120 degrees. It's like 80 degrees when I touch it with my hand. You yeah, know? 80. I think I finally peak out right around 85 yeah. when I'm finished. So it's not, yeah. I'm not heating. What I'm saying is I'm not trying to use the torch to heat it to this really hot temperature. I'm just using it to chase the vapor. Um, so that's that needs to be said as well about a torch. So yeah, let's, let's just walk through the steps. Number one, first of all, embrace the torch. You know, for years and years, I go on a whole thing, you know, tell people, you know, is it necessary? Is it oh, necessary? You know, I'm, I'm to the point now, it's just necessary. Can it be done without it? Sure, it can. And there's caveats to that. But embrace the torch. Embrace it. It's not intimidating. It's super easy. So number one, raw concrete. 
and I chase the vapor, pull out the torch, take the torch over the raw concrete. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's obvious. You'll see where the flame kisses the raw concrete and the darkening that's in front of it. And you just chase that to the point that you don't see that anymore. And the concrete is one dissipated color. That's number one. The first application, I personally like using two parts water, one part prime. I put that, depending on the size of the project, a pull trigger spray bottle or a pump up spray bottle. I prefer the pump up on, on larger projects. Um, I'm also using a nine inch, three eighths nap microfiber roller. And that's important. It needs to be a microfiber and three eighths. Uh, guys have tried five sixteenths and three quarters. Three eighths seems like the magic number. And at that point, what I like to do is essentially saturate the surface and use your roller to even the material out. And we could go in all kinds of descriptions. Be aware that that roller, although damp with water, it's going to suck up sealer to begin with. So make sure you're very generous with your initial sprays. At that point, you saturate the surface, you roll to even it out, and you leave it alone. You let it dwell. Uh, I would say you be generous enough that you're not leaving white puddles, but not so thin that you are diligently trying to back roll material off um, okay, that, so that's number one. And just walk away, let it let it soak in and let it dry. Once it's dried, which if it's done right, your first application should probably take a good five, maybe even seven minutes to dry. I mean, that dwell time should be pretty dramatic with your first app. Uh, and once it's dried, pull out your torch, chase the vapor again. And at this point, see, now it becomes the caveats. I would almost say... Wipe it with water or don't wipe it at all. And I'm saying that because darker colors, you don't want to bring the vinegar in too early. And then people get confused between water and vinegar. And so I'd almost say just chase the vapor after that first one. Just chase the vapor. And then walk into your second application. Second application, like one part water, one part prime. Same idea. You spray it out. You're using your roller, which you've rinsed out, by the way. Rinse it out. Um, same thing. Generous with the material. Spray. Roll it out evenly. And then leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Let it dwell. Let it soak. Again, as long as there's not puddles, you're good. Once that dries, you're going to pull out your torch. Chase the vapor. And now what you're going to have is a little pail next to you with vinegar in it, and a microfiber cloth. You grab that microfiber cloth that's been soaking in the vinegar. You wring it out, not a super tight fist, but just so it's not dripping, and, and you wipe the surface down with that vinegar. And the vinegar, it should be noted, it's just household vinegar from a grocery store. It's yeah. not super... Con if you go to Lowe's Room Depot, they have strong vinegar. Like, what is it, 45% or something? Yeah, 30 or 45% that's used for weed killing. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to use that. You just want to use normal household vinegar. Yeah, basic, yeah, 4% vinegar. If yeah. you do pick the other, make sure you dilute it to a same 4 or 5% kind of idea. Okay, um, at that point, it becomes repetition. You apply another one-to-one -one if you want to. 
because this is where this is the point for me where the protocol switches from how many applications to what that you start using your visual cues and the visual cues are going to tell you because what, you know, how much more you need in applications, because the one thing none of us can change is whatever amount John Schuler is leaving versus how much Brandon Gore is leaving, how thin versus generous is my generous versus thin versus yours and so forth. So this is where I tell everybody switch to your visual cues. And okay, so we applied one, two parts water, one part prime. We've just applied a one part water, one part prime. And now we've torched it, chased the vapor, we wiped with vinegar. During that wiping process, if I see the surface pretty resistant, then then I'm ready to move to my full full um 100% application, full strength applications. If I wipe with that vinegar and instead see a substantial amount of darkening, darkening meaning, you know, the sealer's not really locking up as well as then I'll do a second one-to-one application in the same method, pump up sprayer, three-eighths microfiber, roll it out, roll it out evenly. Don't spend a lot, you know, don't get crazy with it. Let it dry. Once it's dried, I pull out the torch, I chase the vapor, and then I wipe it with vinegar. And again, I'm using the vinegar as my visual cue to tell me how that surface is looking. Because there has been situations where some people may apply several one-to-ones. But if you focus on the visual cues, that'll tell you. At this point, let's just take, for instance, that I wiped it well with vinegar, the surface is not darking, or maybe I just see a few little patchy spots. If I see just a few patchy spots, now I move to my full strength. Uh, Same idea, pump up sprayer pump it out, roll it out evenly. At this point, again, these are kind of the caveats. You'll notice that what you think you're leaving generous at full percent, at at 100% strength, is really not that much because it really evens out so easily. So you're not using very much sealer at all. It goes out, same idea, let it dry, pull out your torch, chase the vapor, and wipe vinegar. Again, using your visual cues. You may need to full strengths. But if you see you don't and you don't see any patchy, you don't see any darking, I always finish up with two wipe on applications, again, full strength, but we've made the transition. So rolling applications, I use prime. Wiping applications, I use sealer, protector satin. And uh, I like to wipe onto full strength application in between and after the final application, same thing, chase the, va- chase the vapor with a torch, wipe it down with vinegar. That whole process start to finish, which you just did, uh, the torch and everything really allows you to move pretty quickly through the process, use your visual cues very nicely to tell you how well it's sealed up. And and then I call it turn and burn. The surfaces themselves can be used fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, I'd say my shop, when I came in on Saturday, it was... 20 degrees outside. And so my shop inside was probably 45 degrees, 50 degrees, something like that. It was pretty cold. The mini split wasn't hooked up yet. So I didn't have any heat back there. And I was using a torch to chase the vapor. And like I said, by the end of it, it it's probably 80 degrees when I touched the concrete, Mm -hmm. it wasn't cooking. But all that being said, the roll on coats, I'd roll them on and let them dry. The letting them dry took a while because it was very cool in my shop. And so 
I would say from start to finish took me about an hour and a half to two hours to do all the steps. I was letting them completely dry before I chase. You don't want to, you don't want to go torch them too soon. So I let them completely dry and then I torch it. So it probably took two hours to go through all the steps and then it was done. And then I let them and set. How, how, what was your surfaces? 50 square feet, 10 um, square feet? Three feet by 20. So 60 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it didn't take that long. Um, had no, it no, been, no. had it been warmer, those, uh, roll on coats, they'd have dried even quicker. That was what I was waiting on, but it was, it's not a bad thing to wait because I'd rinse out the roller. I have this tool that I bought a long time ago, like at a paint store that helps get all the moisture out of the roller. So, you know, I'd squeegee the moisture out of the roller and I'd set it off to the side. I let them set Sunday. And then on Monday, um, I had electricians here hooking up that, uh, the, the mini split, hooking up the power to it. And I said, Hey, can you guys help me get these upstairs? So I got them upstairs and I wiped them down with water and those things completely 100% locked up, zero darkening anywhere. And, uh, so anyways, no, it's, you know, it works great. It works great. So that was pretty much one day after sealing, you know, it sat for a day and then the next day I wiped them down and there was zero darkening anywhere. Yeah, that's what I love. That's why I go back to the restaurant. I just got done doing the vanity is that they were only going to be closed for the hall, you know, 23rd and 24th. Right. And so I went in there and first of all, I'm going to say typical of all of us. I had all my days screwed up. So I, I thought Thanksgiving was on a Friday, not a Thursday. So I was not, so I didn't, I literally got a text. His name's Jason. He threw me a text like, Hey man, were you still planning on doing this today? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I totally told you I, I was going to come in, you know, the days you were close. He's like, that's today. <laughs> oh, crap. So I had to turn and burn, get my butt in there. But anyway, yeah, I mean, this, this vanity got sealed in place because of what was going on and went into full use at 11 a.m. And basically... 36 hours after I sealed it. Yeah. And by doing this process gives me the complete confidence of knowing that. Now I'm going to add one more caveat, which we brought up in, in past podcast is this was a situation knowing, let's say not knowing, but not fully knowing the depth of customers using this. So I did go back in the day of trying to give 24 hours and I applied a, a ceramic to it, just a, just wiped it down with ceramic, let it dry, hand buffed it. And I, w I went back in there the next day, about late afternoon. And yeah, I mean, you can see there was always already covered in soap and you know, it's, it's so funny, man. When you see how people use a public restroom. And it's, yeah. it's, it's the only one in there. It's got yeah. three faucets and three soap dispensers. And uh, yeah, it was already pretty mucky muck. The ceramic thing is interesting because you posted that on Facebook on the yeah. ICT discussion page. And I have talked to a lot of people over the last week and they all ask me, what do you think about the ceramic? I'm like, dude, I haven't done it. But John yeah. says it's great. And so again, it's one of these things that you, you put it out there as it's optional you yep. don't have to do it, but if you want to do it, you can. Why would somebody do the ceramic coating? When we say ceramic, it's the automotive ceramic coatings you put on a car. 
And right. do you have a brand you like? What brand is that? Do you remember? Well, I, I mean, there's several I like, but the, the one I'm really liking right now is G-Y-E-O-N. How that's pronounced, I don't know. G-Y-E-O-N? E-O-N, yeah. Hmm. G-Y-E-O-N. And I like that one specifically because, again, me into chemistry, it has a polysilazane in it as a beating acid. So, as I say, why? The why. Here's the real why. For years and years and years, we've all asked, what are simple to use materials that either, whether that be a customer, like I say, maintenance-based materials that a customer can apply, something that could be sacrificial, something that doesn't interfere with the chemistry, something that doesn't have to be stripped off. You know, we've heard so many people over the years will be everything I've heard Coconut oils, waxes, I mean, you name it. Uh, armor and all, remember of, that? People were spraying armor all way back yeah, in the they, day. These are all, if anything ever goes sideways, you know, this is waxes and junk. They all have to be stripped off. And and they, they're just, to me, they're a nightmare. They're a nightmare. Where a ceramic, which is a silicon dioxide, directly reacts with this chemistry. There's no bones about it and helps create a little more slide to the surfaces, so prevention of scuffs and so forth, increased total repellency and holdout over the lifetime. So again, let's just say, I'm gonna say worst case scenario, really abusive environment is like the vanity I just put in. I've already talked them into, I'm gonna go in once a year into maintenance, but I would say under the use and abuse of that, I would probably want to reseal that maybe in three years, right? And again, I'm in what I call a rejuvenation. Just rejuvenate the surface and make them pretty. And by adding the ceramic, even if it's something they did, again, under that kind of use, water and soap, continuing every day, 360, because he's closed five days a year, 360 days a year, that same scenario can now be prolonged probably into five or six years. Yeah. With the same idea, without having to worry about the surfaces going to crap. You know what I mean? It's not going to look terrible. It's You're not going to go in there and see corners peeling up or problems or, you know, funkiness. And, and that's where a ceramic comes in. It's simple. They're, comparatively speaking, they're fairly inexpensive. And this is exactly why they're used on high-end coatings. I mean, high-end car coatings, you know, um, to prolong the beauty of car finishes. So how do you apply the brand you like Guion or however you say it? How do you apply? Oh, super simple. Yeah. What do you, you do? Just take the material. Yeah. Again, microfiber. Um, in this case, I think they, it even comes with a little microfiber sponge. You kind of saturate the face of that sponge and you just wipe it on. I'm going to say liberally, put a little more on the sponge, right? Wipe, wipe, wipe. You just wipe it on. Again, walk away, let it dry, about this kind of mid-dry. You don't let it dry completely, kind of this mid, and then buff it with a microfiber cloth. Super simple. Where do you buy this at? Are you buying it on Amazon or where are you buying it? Yeah, I just picked it up on Amazon. I'm going to get some right now. I'm going to try it on the conference table upstairs. Why not? It'd be something yeah, to, like it. to try it on. Um, yeah, but I've tried some other ones. R1, 19H. I mean, there's all kinds of these out there. Um, a couple of the guys, I haven't tried them, um, but they really like because it comes in a Callan jug. And, and that's the other thing, right? There's so many price points 
if people haven't looked at the ceramics, uh, price points could be like, you know, 50 bucks or hundred bucks a gallon to, to a hundred bucks for this, what almost looks like a little eyedropper. Um, what the difference is, I don't know. Now this comes again, other than the polysilazine brings us full circle, how we open this podcast with people. If I call up R1, they're not going to tell me what's in that. <laughs> doesn't matter how I ask the question. But what we do know is ceramics under these are all built around the silicon dioxide as the base. And the concentration of that is going to differ. I'm guessing the less expensive ones have a little less. The more expensive one have a higher amount. And, and it's that silicon dioxide in car finishes that – you know, prolongs that finish it and gives it a little more durability against your automotive car washes and so forth and so on. So, and with this chemistry, man, they, they, they work great. So I'm on Amazon right now while we're talking and they have... I'm spelling it wrong. No, you're not. That's why you spell it. I found it. They have, what is this? Ceramic detailer. Yeah, so the one with the polysilazine is called MOHS, Mohs or Maws or something like that. Uh, the same company has several different ones, but the one with the polysiloxane, polysilazine, excuse me, is the Mohs. Gotcha. Uh, again, the, the other ones maybe for, you know, detailing or cleaning or whatever the case may be. I don't know. Yeah. Because the, 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 some look at the one, Guion Quartz Ceramic Detailer is 500 milliliters is 21 bucks. Then there's the Guion Q2 Mohs Evo. It's 50 milliliters. So it's one quarter of the mountain. It's 95 bucks. Yeah. That's the one with the polysilazine in it. Gotcha. All right. Well, I'll add it to my card. And I'm sure they have one that's just a pure silicon dioxide. Yeah. And what the advantage to that to another pure silicon dioxide, I have, couldn't tell you. Oh, yeah, I'd say it's called pure. There you go. Yeah. Pure Evo ceramic coating, which is, yeah, just a pure silicon dioxide. Gotcha. So the next thing I want to talk about, John, you ready for the next thing? Bring it. San Mageddon. San Mageddon. San Mageddon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's just talk about this real quick and get it out of the way. Because it's a topic conversation that's been going around the last week. So the long short, short of it is we have several sands in our products. And those sands are manufactured for us by materials suppliers. There's Correct. these companies that essentially operate mines. And you can specify, this is what I need. And they'll you know manufacture that. They'll run whatever, 5,000 pounds, 10,000 pounds, and put them in super sacks and ship them to our blender. And one of those same manufacturers has, well, let's back up for one second. We've been hearing from people that spray a lot of face coats like Joe Bates, that they're finding big chunks of like gravel occasionally in a bag of Maker Mix. Yeah, plugging their guns and so forth. And exactly. So, yeah. so if you're spraying it, that chunk is problematic. And Absolutely. so we contacted our blender and they went through all the sands we use and they found the culprit. And there's this one yep. manufacturer that... It's a, a very small amount of sand in our mix. It's only 12% of the sands is, is what the sand is. But it, they they found that there's some chunks in it. And so we contact, or yeah. you contacted that supplier and said, hey, guys, you have holes in your screens, yeah, obviously. You see problem. Yeah, there's <laughs> holes in your screens because we're ending up with <clears throat> big chunks in that sand. And they said, okay, we'll fix it. And so we had our blender 
screen that sand for us. They ran it through screens to get the chunks out. In the meantime? Yeah. And then you called and followed up with them and said, hey, you know, we, we're getting ready to do another blending. Um, what's yeah, the status? We're running out of stock, guys. We got to get it. And we've had to order in with them for a time. But yeah, we'll get it fixed. We'll get it fixed. Yeah. And you called yep. them and said, what's the status? And they said, you know what? We're not going to even do it anymore. Um, we're just going to discontinue that that product. We're not going to make it anymore. So for them, right. it was easier just to say, we're not going to make it than to fix the screens that, that are have holes in them. And that left us in a tight pinch because now we have to find the sand to uh, replace that sand. So luckily, John has been doing this for so long that you know his Rolodex is super deep on material uh, manufacturers. So he contacted different sand suppliers and said, this is what we need. What do you have? And one of them said, hey, I got, I got something that's going to work. So he sent it to you. You looked at yep. it, looked fine. You mixed it up. You uh, acid etched it. You held it up to previous maker mix that's acid etched. You didn't see any difference. You sent it to me. Same thing. I mixed it up. I compared it to previous maker mix. I didn't see, I acid etched it. I didn't see anything. Great. Problem solved. We, uh, we made the switch. Now that being said, some people apparently are doing a much deeper exposure. They're grinding deeper into the concrete and they notice some of these flecks of color that, yeah. you know, we didn't see when we, when we acid etched and we didn't see when you hold the sand in your hand, but when you ground into it, you'd see some flecks. And so we had some people reach out to you and say, Hey, or a person reach out to you and say, Hey, I have these little flecks of color and you just explain to them. Yeah, well, here's what happened. And even though I haven't seen any difference and you haven't seen any difference, we do listen to the feedback from our customers. That's extremely important. And so the fact that some people are doing a deeper exposure and they do see these flecks of colors, we said, listen, yeah. we'll, we'll find a solution. And so you have, you found the sand that we're right now waiting on the sample to come in from the supplier because the supplier took a picture, looks great. But as right. we know, pictures, until you actually see it with your own eyes, you, you can't hundred percent trust see it. It's it. I be. want to run an analysis on it. Yeah, exactly. It'll be here tomorrow to late afternoon tomorrow. But that should solve, you know, pending that the sand yep. is what the photos show that it is. That's going to solve that fleck issue, the, the flex. But the bigger conversation here that I think everybody should, should understand is the reality of the materials word, world pre-COVID and especially post-COVID. But let's talk pre-COVID because you've been doing this for a long time. You did this with Blue Concrete, you did this with Buddy Rose, and you've you've assisted many other companies in the industry with their materials, is material suppliers, the raw material suppliers, products come online and offline constantly. It's, the, oh, it's constantly in flux, man. It's constantly. Yeah. It's the nature of, of raw materials. And it's the nature of mining raw materials. Okay. So this material is available in two months. Hey, we're not producing it currently. Okay. And you got to find something else. Now, 99 times out of 100, we're able to get, find a substitute that is totally, you know, in the same spec, same color, and it is what it is. No big deal. Um, you know, we do our best. We always do our absolute best. But every now and then, as happened in this situation, the, the, the replacement from the one that we were using before had some flex and color that, again, we didn't see, but we don't do a super deep exposure, but somebody, some people right. did. Yeah, I just wasn't thinking about that, and, to be honest with you. You know, like I said, we're, we, we found a solution. But... You know, the truth of the matter is our jobs on this side of the, of the industry is these problems are constant. When I say problems, these <sighs> challenges, challenges are constant. Yeah. And anybody that says that, oh, our, our mix never changes. We made the formula and it is forever. It's like, dude, yeah. 
either you don't know what you don't know because you're so new to it that you don't know what's coming or you're lying. It's one of the two. You either don't know what you don't know yet because you haven't experienced it. You don't have experience or you're just lying to everybody and saying nothing changed because it's constant. So our job, and we take this job extremely seriously, it consumes a tremendous amount of time, is to make the mix as consistent as possible. We do this for a living as well. We use these products yeah. for our client projects. So we're not just some material manufacturer that just you know does things without, without any consideration to the end result. We are highly aware and we're very, very concerned with consistency and performance and quality. And that is our job when we take that job seriously. And I just want everybody to understand, we do the absolute best we can do. There's nothing that we do haphazardly. John doesn't wake up one morning and say, you know what I want to do today? I want to change the sand around just for no good reason. Right. Nobody's yeah. doing that. Okay. So there's two sides to that coin and like, and we're on the edge and the two sides of that coin is, and I love our customer base. These guys are all fantastic. <clears throat> And they really want to know the materials, but at the same time, knowing all the materials, I, it's, how would I say it? Not everybody's doing that. This flux in, in materials, raw materials is constant. It's constant. And it was a very large company that pulled production on what we needed. And without, I'm not going to name anybody else, but other companies are using this material as well in their materials. So, because they piggybacked on what we were doing um, at the time, once we got this one made, and that's more of John not keeping his mouth shut. But that being said, other materials are changing as well. Uh, we've seen this, I've seen this constantly with sealing technologies. I brought it up a while again, a, a while ago about some of the co-solvent systems that EPA is completely changing. So I wouldn't say it's got the market in a panic, but my point being is, I know a lot of people say, you need to know your materials, you need to know, need to know, but nobody's telling you because I don't think they're all either A, like you said, they just don't know. But if you really did know, that would send people in panic all the time. It really would. I mean, it is, it is constant. And, um, and I'll continue to work around it. This is what I do. I actually enjoy it, uh, but it is a challenge. It's challenging. Well, anybody that is new to the materials game, and there's some some people that are coming out with products that are new to the game, I would highly advise them to not throw stones quite yet about, you know, our materials are consistent and they never change because give it a minute, bro. Give it a minute. I promise it won't be long before one of the raw material suppliers that you're using will contact you and say, we stopped production on that. So yeah. that's one of the things. The other thing I want to talk about on this subject is we are using natural materials that are mined yeah. from the ground. We're going to do everything we can, humanly possible, to keep consistency. But the truth of the matter is the products are mined out of the ground. And in a mine, the deeper they go, this side of the mine versus that side of the mine, things yeah. are constantly evolving. And that's just the nature of concrete materials. Yeah. Even with them, they'll do their best, but they're, we call them organics. There's always going to be some amount of organics that come through depending on, yeah, where, where it's coming from. Yeah. And we went through this during the COVID when we launched Kodiak Pro at the worst time in history, when COVID lockdowns were screwing <laughs> the whole supply chain of the world up. One of the uh, ingredients in our mix, uh, the silica fume, the supplier had to stop 
shipments due to the COVID to everything being shut down. And we had to switch to a different supplier And it was white silica fume, but it's from a different mine. And that mine, the white is kind of a silver color, you know, that we, that we were getting now it's still white because there's gray silica fume and gray silica fume is, is very, very gray. I mean, you know, it's gray, you know, like gray Portland, yeah. you know, gray Portland, this was white, but it was from a different mine. And yeah, still considered the speck of white. Yeah, yeah, still, still white, but it was a different shade of white from the one that we were using from a supplier that at that point had to stop freight due to COVID. Yep. Concrete's a real thing. It's a natural thing. And as much as we strive for consistency and believe me, we take it insanely seriously because we do this for a living as well. Our livelihood yep. is based on these materials. So we get it. We get it. But that being said, you have to have some acceptance of the naturalness of the materials and how those things change in time uh, from different mines, from different sections of the mine. It's just constant. When I was in Phoenix and I was doing white concrete, this is way back in the day. I would use white Portland. It was Lehigh was the, the brand that was available in Phoenix. Lehigh white Portland, white marble sand. I'd use a blend of Poslins. But the white marble sand Marble isn't pure white. Marble has yeah. veins of black and brown through it. So the white marble sand had black and, and brown specks all throughout it. And when I'd make my white concrete and I'd acid etch into it, there's black and white or, or black and brown specks all over the surface, right? And that's just part of it. It's part of it. I know I I wasn't ever upset about it because you can't, it's like screaming at the sun, you know, ah, you know, the homeless guy at the corner. <laughs> it gets you nowhere. This is the real truth of anything that's that's real, is there's it's not a hundred percent. Um, and we're always listening. That's the thing is the feedback that we get from people is extremely important and we do take it seriously. So when people call us up and say, Hey, here's what I'm experiencing. We go to work looking into it. You know, um, we search through our materials. We contact other people. Hey, are you seeing any of this? You know, we're trying to get to the root cause of what could have caused that. And we try to figure it out and we make adjustments as needed. So again, that's our job and that's the job we take seriously. And, um, but you know, we do the best we can and that's all we can do. And, and we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing the best we can. So any thoughts on that, John? No, that's it. <laughs> Trudging on. That's all we can do, man. All we can uh, do. Yeah. Ah, that's it. So <laughs> yeah, but here's the flip side though, with each of these, I actually get excited about it. I mean, there's no question for a moment, even me, I get bummed out, but then I get excited about it. I mean, so working with this, this new company that to, I'm actually going to, these are going to be produced even more locally to where we're blending, um, you know, continue on our approach. And I think at the end of the day, which I'll find out tomorrow when I do an analysis or Thursday morning, when I do an analysis, that um, it'll continue to improve and improve the quality, the aesthetics, the consolidation, and improve the mix dramatically, even over where we were at, because I'm taking that amount of time of where we were and making the modifications moving forward to even make this, help this vendor create a better product than where we were. So, I actually, I mean, I do, I enjoy it, man. It sucks because it takes a lot of time and effort, but I really do get excited about it. Aim knows like, I, like tonight I probably won't sleep knowing that it's going to be here tomorrow. I can't <laughs> wait to run the analysis, make some changes. You know Dude, I mean? you're a strange see, bird, man. I love what, it though. You know, 
where this improves and goes even further, you know, we may probably again, as most guys right now, I mean, most guys are running full self-consolidating mixes at 27% water with two, you know, with full fiber loadings. I mean, to the point that we have as other people in the industry doing everything they can to, you know, get the seeds of doubt in everybody because they can't achieve it. And, and I think that's amazing. I, I'm so amazed to see the success of people on top of my own success uh, that, uh, yeah, man, I, I dig it. So, well, that that's a good segue to our last conversation for today's podcast. And that is, there was a question on one of the Facebook groups of somebody that was asking to compare the difference between Brad mix and these other, uh, materials on the market that are marketed as UHPC ad mixes or whatever, right? What's the difference? And I think the person has a genuine question. They want to know. Now, the interesting thing about this Facebook conversation was a material supplier, um, a, a distributor that, you know, manufactures or downpacks or whatever materials um, hops on and, and comments that they, they want to know what's in our product. Well, of course they want to yeah. know what's in our product. Why wouldn't they want to know what's in our product? I, If I was them, I would want to know what's in our product. So I don't fault them for throwing it out there, but they throw it out there under the pretense of, you know, we need to know, otherwise we can't trust the product. And this is such a, you know, a hypocritical soapbox to stand on because they're saying we need to know, but they're not putting out the information about what's in their their product. Not that we care. I don't want to know. You don't want to know. We no. don't care. We don't care what's in their product. But, you know, so it's one of the things that if you want to walk the walk, talk the talk, do the whole thing, then list all the ingredients in your product, not just an overview, not just a polymer or defoamer. What polymer, what defoamer, and what percentage of that ad mix yeah. are those ingredients? That'd be the only truthful, full disclosure that had any impact whatsoever. But nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. It's a stupid thing to do. But I would say, and I've had some time to think about that whole thing. I actually laughed out loud. And when I read that comment, I literally laughed out loud. I laughed and I laughed and I called you up and we laughed together. And it was a funny thing, in my opinion, that a, a competitor was trying to like whip up people and create these seeds of doubt that you can't trust what mm -hmm. we're doing because we haven't disclosed what's in our in our product. Yeah. 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 But anyway, so I would say to anybody listening to our users, the difference is success. You know, this is what you wrote and I thought it was a great way to put it. The difference is success. The yeah. the difference is the people using our products have found success where they didn't before. And that's the difference. And, and for us, that's what matters. I don't care what any competitor, I don't care about the seeds of doubt they're trying to sow in people's minds. They're trying to muddy the waters. You don't know what's real, what's not real, who to trust, who not to trust. Here's the truth. You and I, we've been doing this for a living for 20 years. The products that we've developed, the products that we manufacture, the products that we sell are products that are based on our experiences and our failures. And one of the biggest points of failure in this industry is the polymers that go in the mixes. And we developed a whole family of products based around removing that problem out of the equation. Yeah. yeah. And we're the only company that's done that. Nobody else has done it. No. And that's ultimately we're getting cleaner finishes, higher density, easier to seal, faster turnaround. I mean, it's it's mind boggling sometimes to me that that people are 
I don't know, holding on to this old stuff and then trying to relabel it as revolutionary. I, I truly don't understand it. But I'll still say this, though, and this is by no way what I'm going to say, that it somehow is putting down those people. They're not using it. And at the end of the day, that's where I think I understand where they're coming from is uh, they want a material to sell. Okay. And, but they're not using it. And if you're not using it and you're not living through the experience that the rest of us have making materials and putting it in place and sealing it and seeing the longevity of it and see the, the goods, the bads, the positives, the negatives, if you're not doing all that, then of course it makes sense <clears throat> because everybody else is doing it. <clears throat> so why not if if you see so and so whatever so and so's selling apple pies and you're like, "Ooh, hey, I can make an apple pie. I'll sell apple pies." And you're both kind of getting apples from the same orchard. You're kind of both using, you know, butter in your crust and so forth and so on. And now you're selling apple pies. They have apple pies. That's kind of what's going on. They have I got an admixture that's got a defomer and a polymer and a shrinkage. Well, I got one too. And, and it's, I think it's better than his. Well, why is it better? You're using the same Evaic Titan. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. No, no, no. Mine's better. Cause I put a pozzolan in. That doesn't mean anything to me. What pozzolan? And the choices are limited when it comes to a white pozzolan, you know? And if it's a, anyway, I'll stop right there. So the point is, yeah, the, the, and then rebranding, repackaging, put a new something. Now we're going to call it revolutionary. I don't know. It's well. It's, here's the deal: is we we talked about this a long time ago, and it was your analogy, but it was so good because it it paints the picture perfectly. The problem that we have found through our experience this isn't just hyperbole. This is from running companies making these products making sinks, countertops, furniture, tile for 20 years, is polymer is the number one problem in the mix, right? Yeah. It's oh, like yeah, yeah. putting That's poison in your coffee. You're taking poison, you're putting in your coffee. Now you know there's poison in there. You don't want to drink it unless you put an antidote in there. Well, we need to put a defomer in there because we know that polymer is going to whip up a ton of air. Yeah. Let's put a polymer. So we've got to combat let's, let's that defomer. with this. So now i got to put an in, antidote. In combating that, that's going to create a weakness here. Exactly. Okay, so let's add this. So now you have cascading okay. issues. That started right. with putting this one problematic material in there because you're you're basing it on old thoughts and old technology. Yeah, you're basing it on the way it was done in right. the 70s when that was truly groundbreaking. But it's 2023, about to be 2024, right? You know, you got to understand that the difference is we've approached this from a different mindset. We've approached it from... What was the problem? The problem was this. Let's develop a line of products that don't have that problem. Instead of dumping all these other things into there to try to mitigate that issue, let's just not even start with that issue. Let's start the right way. Well, and so far, and I don't see this changing, so far, you know, again, the, the, the success that people are seeing is uh, what's humbling and, and amazing all at the same time. Just sent us some photos today on uh, Messenger or posted them on Facebook. He casts right. these huge art plinths for, uh, for like, you know, these statues. And they're seven feet tall and, right. um, and super detailed as far as they have like engraved writing in them and things. And he, he poured these using Rad Mix 
And, you know, hopefully he'll write a post about it because he's told us this in, in, in Messenger, but he rece- received results that he's never seen before. He's never been able to experience the level of quality that he's getting from Radmix. He's able to do things that he could never do before with the materials he was right. using before. He's able to do those things now. And that is what we stand for. That is what Kodiak Pro is about. Well, that's what it's all about because, and I think people get wrapped up too much and the argument becomes the materials. And in, in a way I get it, especially if you're another somebody trying to sell materials. I get it. I mean, I get it. I, I get I get the, the stomping ground you need to be in. I know you need to create and this willingness to want to create doubt so that you don't lose your sales. I mean, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And in some way to separate your product, which is 99% similar to their product so that, so that you're making sales and not tell, cause you're not going to tell people I, I get it. I, I totally understand it. And that's why for me, it's not about the materials. Um, watching and being a part of the journey that watching again, just make, and I told this to Martin, his confidence has gone up a thousand fold. His, excuse me, the business that he's creating for him and his family has gone up a thousand fold. You know, that's his customer base that he's become a part of now has gone up a thousand fold. Now, the materials have been part of it, and I think that's fantastic. But to watch that evolution of an artisan to move the direction that that we really stand for is amazing. And I love it. That's what I love to be a part of. Well, John, I think that's a good place to end it. Right on, buddy. Let's touch base next week. Sounds good. All right, All buddy. right buddy. We'll Adios. talk to you later. Adiós.